his glory. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 is where we are in our study of the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 today. We're getting, <clears throat> we're getting to the conclusion of the matter, uh, the final instructions, and the writer of Hebrews is summing things up and, and just putting an exclamation point uh, on all that he's been saying through here, especially uh, he is pointing us to Jesus and exalting Jesus, and he's been doing that all through the, the book of Hebrews, talking about how Jesus is superior and uh, again and again telling us to consider Jesus, and he's going to do the same here in these verses that we're reading this morning. Well, we've just come out of chapter 11, of course, that has so many of the great men and women of faith uh, who, who, who did so many great things but suffered greatly as well. Uh, and so we come to the conclusion of kind of that chapter here in chapter 12, where it says to us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word to us this morning. Well, as some of you <clears throat> may know, uh, I ran track in college, and I, and I ran as little as possible, as I was actually a jumper, a high jumper, and so I didn't have to run very far, but uh, occasionally, especially at the beginning of the year when we were trying to get in shape and practice was starting, uh, they would make us run five miles, and, uh, and that, was, that was not fun. And uh, I, I would run as we started off, but then we kind of went out into the woods, and then I could walk, and which was fine because two weeks later I had to do the same thing, and uh, it was a test to see if you were actually improving. And, uh, you know, you sandbag the first go-around, and then the second one you really kind of try. And so you, you look good. But needless to say, running is not my favorite thing. And uh, uh, we're going to be talking about running, running the race here this morning. Uh, there is a race set before us, the writer of Hebrews tells us. The Christian life is compared to a race. Uh, and, and this metaphor or simile is picked up in other places in Scripture as well, as we'll see in a, in a moment in the New Testament. It's a, the Christian life is a race <clears throat> that requires endurance, though, so it's not a sprint, it's a, a marathon, uh, a grueling, lifetime, long-distance run. Now, what is this race all about? What is the race all about? <clears throat> well, uh, Paul picks up this metaphor in several places in his letters. And in Philippians 3, here's how he expresses it. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he doesn't say race specifically here, but he's striving for the goal. He's trying to reach the finish line. And, and that goal is to, to know Christ, to, to experience the resurrection from the dead that, that Christ experienced, to, to be united to Christ and to belong to Christ. That is what he's looking at, and that's what the race is all about. It's about not just living this life, but it's, it's, it's reaching uh, eternity reaching the ultimate goal, the new heavens and new earth, to be with Christ in his presence and to have perfect communion with our creator. Uh, that's a great prize. It's uh, something we undervalue and we really don't grasp it well enough. But Paul was adamant and was striving for the goal of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. He does use the same kind of language in 1 Corinthians 9. <clears throat> he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So you see Paul's determination uh, and the stress he lays at, at making this important, uh, imperative in his life, in our lives, to run to receive the prize. Now, as I mentioned, I don't like to run much, but, but when I do, I certainly don't run uh, a marathon uh, I, I keep it to a 5K, which is 3.2 miles, and I can make three trips around the blocks here, uh, around the church, and I've got it all mapped out. So when I do run, which is a rarity, that's what I do, and usually walk more than I run, because running is hard. Nobody can truly enjoy running, I'm convinced, uh, though there are people who, who do it. Uh, I don't understand that. But this imagery of running, you know, it makes sense to us because uh, this endurance running is difficult. And the Christian life is difficult. It's fraught with difficulties and endurance is necessary as in long-distance running. And there's three obstacles. You know, not only uh, do we have this race to run, but there's obstacles in the way. Three things, and we talk about it often, the, the world, the flesh, and the enemy, the devil. And now, it's hard enough to run a marathon, but can you imagine running a marathon where there are enemies along the way who are trying to uh, make you change course, make you end up in a ditch, uh, trip you up? And the Christian life has such an enemy in life, 
trying to tempt us, lead us astray, trying to discourage us from continuing in the race. We have an enemy, and that's the first obstacle. And we've all been tripped up along the way and gotten derailed. And then the world, the, the second obstacle in the Christian, uh, in the Christian life is, uh, is a bit easier to imagine because we live in this world. We see how difficult it is. Now, if you run a marathon, I certainly wouldn't want to be running it in July and August in Mississippi. Uh, that would be terrible in this heat and humidity. So the environment can be difficult in which to run, and that's true of the Christian life as well. We, we run the Christian life in a world that is hostile to us. The environment we're in, the culture that we're in, is increasingly hostile to Christianity. The world is under a curse. It's broken. Things don't work like they should, and people are sinners. And many people hate God. And the world is getting more hostile to Christianity by the day, it seems. And if we continue on our current path, it won't be long in this country until Christians are completely marginalized. And there may come a time when Jesus' words to the disciples in John 16 is true of us. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And there are certainly people who believe that today. And then the, the last obstacle that we have to face in this race is our flesh, our own fleshly desires. When I go out to run on the occasion that I do it, I have to coax myself. So running in this neighborhood is, is good because there's a, a lot, of, uh, lot of milestones I can reach. Lord, help me make it to that driveway <laughs> that's in front of me. Or I get down on the beach and I see the, 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 uh, the end of uh, the 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 corner of Beach and, and White Avenue, and I was like, you know, just run until you get there. Uh, so there's markers, and I'm trying to make it, and I coax and goad myself because my body does not want to do this. It's painful, and it hurts, and it's hard. Our fleshly desires hamper us from running in the Christian life. We, we want to take a break and relax and smell the flowers over here by the side of the road, and it's not easy <clears throat> to die to self, to take up a cross, and to follow Jesus, because our flesh doesn't like that. So the Christian life is, is difficult. The world, the flesh, the devil, all these things are against us. That's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, you have need of endurance. You need endurance. Well, maybe you're discouraged today and ready to give up on the Christian life. You don't even want to be engaged in the race anymore. Or, or maybe you're already gotten way off course and you find yourself face down in a ditch, spiritually speaking. Well, how do we get up and keep going and run with endurance to the end? Or perhaps you've, you're not in the race at all. You've, you've never uh, been a follower of Jesus, but maybe you want to be today. How does one get in that race, engage in, in running the race? I want to answer those questions with my second two points. The writer of Hebrews gives us really two things to do to run the race with endurance. First, we've got to get ready to run, and that is uh, lay aside the weight and the sin. Lay aside the weight and the sin. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there has to be preparation. You've got to get ready to run 
And, uh, you know, what you need to do, first of all, is to, if you're going to go out for a run, you don't put on a three-piece suit, right? You, you usually trim your clothes down. You wear shorts and running shoes. And uh, I'm not brave enough to go shirtless, but, uh, you know, <laughs> runners in the olden times, they hardly wore anything at all. So they were ridding themselves of any impediments to make themselves be able to run more freely. And that's the first thing he says. Lay aside weight, and that word can mean fat. Uh, Usually I'm running because I want to get rid of the fat. But anything that's a bulk, uh, anything that would weigh you down, any encumbrance, uh, anything that would would keep you from running uh, is what he's saying. We need to lay that aside. So worldly entanglements and associations, you know, there are, this, is not, the, this first category is not necessarily things that are wrong, but things that just hinder us in our Christian life, hinder us from running the race. Uh, maybe it's a friend group that we have that discourages us in our Christianity. Maybe it's uh, uh, a work environment that we're in. Um, what are the things that hinder your walk with the Lord? things that might not be bad in themselves but cause you to stumble. That's what he's talking about here. We need to identify those things and make changes. How can we be encouraged in the race, not discouraged in the race? Peel those things off. Get rid of them, he says. Lay aside, lay them aside. And, of course, the second thing, the sin that easily entangles us, it, it's the, the verb there is sin that stands around us, sin that... that uh, surrounds us on every side, so entangles us, that we get wrapped up in. And we all have those besetting sins, to use an older word, sins that we're particularly attracted to that cause us to stumble. Well, we need to get rid of those things. Those, uh, those sins uh, put a barrier between us and God that breaks fellowship between us and the Lord. The Bible talks about putting sin to death. Romans 8.13, Paul says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we're called to put sin to death. And those sins that are easily entangling us are the ones that we're not really willing to put to death. They're the ones that we like and we let them hang around. But But the writer here is saying, look, if you want to endure, you've got to put those things to death. You've got to use extreme prejudice against your sin. I've given you a quote there on your outline from Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, He acknowledges this. This is from his book, Devoted to God. He says, Thus growing in sanctification, growing in holiness, growing in your walk with the Lord, growing in sanctification means understanding that I am a new man or new woman in Christ. You have a new identity as a Christian. You belong to Jesus. Recognizing the traits in my life that are inconsistent with that new identity and dealing death blows to my sin and simultaneously clothing myself in the graces of Jesus. That's a good summary of what it means to run the race, to live out the Christian life. Recognizing how I'm not living up to to Christ's example, uh, recognizing how my life is inconsistent with Christianity and then putting those things away, putting those things aside, dealing death blows to those things while also clothing myself in the grace of Jesus. 
So we've got to get ready to run by laying aside any encumbrances, any weights, any sin that, uh, that, that entangles us so that we can run freely. And we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Notice how he expresses this. He's talking about the, the folks mentioned in Hebrews 11, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, and the rest. He's, he's listed them off and described them for us uh, in chapter 11. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, you might get the impression these witnesses, these saints mentioned in Hebrews 11, are up in heaven cheering you on. You know, you can do it, kind of uh, cheers, like you would get at a race. It's a nice thought, but I don't believe that's what it means here. I believe that the writer means that these Old Testament faithful saints are witnesses to us, not witnesses of us. They're not just sitting there looking and witnessing what we're doing. No, they're witnessing to us. Their lives are a witness to us. Their lives are examples uh, to us because they themselves, they laid aside the weight and the sin that entangled them, and they looked to Jesus. They considered Jesus. You remember we talked about Moses last week. Moses laid aside the fleeting pleasures of sin, and he pursued God and God's people and mission. He embraced the reproach of Christ because he was looking to the reward. He was like, he was like Paul. He was pressing on, striving to the end to reach the resurrection. And he was willing to suffer to do that. Now, these saints didn't have as much revealed to them as we do, but they were still looking to the Lord just the same, looking for what he had promised, living for what he promised in the future. They witnessed to us to do the same. Abraham rejoiced to see Christ's day. Moses embraced the reproach of Christ. They were just looking at it from a greater distance. They were looking at it before the fact. We look at it after it's all happened, after Christ and the cross has come. But they look to Jesus just the same, and so must we if we want to endure in the Christian life as they did. So that's the first thing we need to do. We need to, like those saints, lay aside the weight and the sin that easily entangles us. And then, thirdly, we need to fix our eyes on the founder and perfecter of our faith. So, we've prepared ourselves to run. We've laid aside the weight and the sin. Where do we get the motivation to move forward? Now, we, we motivate ourselves every day to do things. And... Sometimes we do great with motivating in the positive way, but a lot of times we motivate ourselves in the wrong way. When I go out for a run, I, I need someone to get me going when things get difficult, which is usually about 50 yards into the run. So we need proper motivation in the Christian life, but often we motivate ourselves with guilt or fear or shame or pride and they will only get us so far. Let me just work my way through those. Guilt, you know, it works by making you feel bad about sin. And yes, we are guilty. But, if, but, but often we're only focusing in on ourselves. We're, we're guilty for that sin that we keep doing over and over and over again. And 
that should tell you right there, even though you're guilty, you're not changing. Nothing's happening. You're continuing. That sin is continuing to entangle you. So guilt is not a, a great motivator because it's just condemning us and it's really self-centered. And, and that leads us into maybe fear where we say to ourselves, if you keep doing this, you'll get caught. Well, what if you don't ever get caught? You know, that's with the Internet and the privacy that we have, you can get away with a lot of sinful activities and no one will ever know or see. There's examples that we've seen here recently. You think of Robbie Zacharias and, and all that he got into and what he was doing, and, and, and nobody really knew until he was gone. So fear is not a great motivator. Shame and pride both feed the ego. You, you might say, oh, I'm better than this. I shouldn't do this. Well, you're not because you're doing it. So you're not better than that. So you're, you're, you have no reason to be proud or to shame yourself because you should be ashamed. But that's not a great motivator. You're not better than that. And then there's some who only live uh, the Christian life, the Christian ethic, because they're cultural Christians. They're living in the Bible Belt, living in a culture largely influenced by Christianity. But as that culture erodes, and you're, you're seeing it all around us, as the culture around us erodes, many people are abandoning the faith. They're, they're not willing to, to uh, stick with the traditional uh, biblical view of living it out. So these things are not great motivators, but the writer of Hebrews is giving us the great motivation. And Paul was obviously talking about it there in Philippians 3 at the beginning. Is Christ, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 2, you know, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a lot there that we can explore. Um, looking to Jesus means that we fix our eyes on Jesus, that we don't look at anything else, that we are staring at him. And that's how we live the Christian life. We lay aside the sin, the weight that easily uh, hinders us, and we look at Jesus. He is the founder, and that word is an interesting word. Uh, this word, uh, this translated founder here, can mean the hero of a city, uh, someone who founded the city, gave its name like uh, Athena and Athens. She's the protector of Athens in mythology. And there's the sense that uh, this word can mean captain because they're the leader, the founder, the one who's in charge, or it can mean the originator or author. And that's where we get the founder from. So all these aspects are true of Jesus. In the New Testament, all those different aspects of this word are used. Jesus is the hero. He's our hero. He's the one who guards us. He's our captain of salvation. He's the originator of salvation. He is the founder of salvation and the author of it. If, if there was no Jesus, there would be no salvation. So he's the one we look to, and he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that will complete it and finish it. We sang, he will hold me fast. He will not let us go. So he's going to bring it to completion. So as we look to him, the, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, we're reminded that he's the one that founded our salvation and he's protecting us and he's going to bring it to completion. 
And Jesus, we see here also, he did exactly what we are being asked to do. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the joy that he had in coming to earth to save his people far outweighed enduring the cross, far outweighed the shame of it. You know, coming to earth and being despised and rejected and killed. He went to that because there was something joyful that he achieved in doing that. And that was our salvation. We just sang it in, in He Will Hold Me Fast. Uh, he says, those he saves are his delight. He will, Christ will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold us fast. See, Jesus delighted to save his people. And he didn't care about the shame. He did that for you. Now, as we think about Jesus and him doing that for us, you know, that motivates us. You know, he suffered all those things on my behalf, and, and I'm not even going through half of what he went through. Well, that's what verse 3 says. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If we see that our Lord and Savior, the one that's saving us, suffered and died on our behalf and did it joyfully, we can follow him and, and endure that suffering. We can be strengthened in, in doing so because we see he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done for us. In verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Well, Jesus did. He shed his blood for sin, for sinners such as you and I. Uh, he, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you know, the temptation was to, you know, Father, if it be your will, let this cup, the cup of God's wrath for sin being poured out on him, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus shed his blood. He sweated drops of blood as he contemplated all that he was going to go through on our behalf. And doesn't that fill your heart with, with joy and courage that he's with us and he's walked this path before us and he's going to be right there strengthening us, encouraging us, we should continue to look to Jesus, not to ourselves, not to anything else, but look to him. We pray that as we think about these things, that the Lord would encourage us to throw aside our laziness and our apathy. Uh, many of us are just on the sidelines. There are other people running, but we're just not even thinking about the race. We need to get engaged in the race it's, it's for the great prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul said. And we want to be those like Paul, who at the end of his life can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May we love Christ and look forward to his appearing and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word as always. Lord, it encourages us, it snaps us out of our stupor and the, the sluggishness that we have because of our sinfulness. Lord, grant us a true repentance from sin. And Lord, help us to walk with you, to run with you this race that is set before us with endurance. Uh, Lord, you uh, were faithful to the end in spite of the, the grave, unimaginable suffering that you endured on the cross. And you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, we know that even though we may suffer in this life and may even, may even die, may even die for our faith, that we will be where you are forever, in eternity. Lord, encourage our hearts with that and help us to, to know you and to walk with you and to run with you every day of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.